friend of mine, and uh, I know he's anxious to get back to you all, and I know you're anxious for him to get back. Uh, he and I uh, crossed paths in Romania for a short period of time, but uh, boy, what a, what a great thing God is doing there, and what a great uh, opportunity it is for me to be with you this morning. As, uh, as I was introduced this morning, I was introduced as the director of the Austin Baptist Association, and often people ask, what is that? What do you do? Uh, just to give you a little bit uh, of an idea, my mother says that it's a job with great responsibility and absolutely no authority. And uh, so you can imagine what kind of job that looks like. But, but actually my task is to bring together the, uh, the churches in the Austin area, the Southern Baptist churches in the Austin area, and to cast a vision for what it would look like to reach Austin with the gospel of Jesus Christ. This morning, I'm going to uh, be looking at two passages of Scripture, and uh, I know that at least one of you here this morning is concerned that I have uh, the gift to gab and that I might go long. So, uh, in fact, this individual told me that I had 30 minutes, so I am now looking at the clock to uh, determine how much time that I have. But uh, looking at two passages, you know that it's, it's going to be tough for me. In Acts chapter 19, verses 8 through 10, we read a, an account of the Apostle Paul going to Ephesus. And I think it, in, in some fashion, gives you an idea as, what, as to what it might look like if the churches in Austin come together. In verse number 8 of Acts 19, we read, And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. If you know anything about the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul, he would go into a city and he would go to the synagogue. He would go to the religious people. He would go to the Jews. And his purpose was to tell them, this Messiah, Jesus, that you've been looking for, he's here. Well, he, in, uh, as you look at this passage, you think, hey, three months, that's a, that's a good period of time. And actually, from other experiences in other cities, it was a good deal of time. But we find in verse number 9 that things don't go so well. It says, but when divers were hardened and believed not, but spoke evil of that way before the multitude, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of Tyrannus. So he's, he's preaching in the synagogue for a three-month period of time. In the church, they become conflicted, the synagogue, about the message that he's preaching. And so he leaves and he rents a lecture hall. The lecture hall is known as the lecture hall of Tyrannus, probably the, the fellow that owned it. And tradition tells us that Tyrannus probably operated this school, this uh, philosophical question-and-answer kind of school, in the morning hours or in the evening hours when it was cool. And that the Apostle Paul probably got a good deal on rent and used it in the middle of the day, and he began to share with people the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And verse number 10 is the part that I think is very instructive for us. And it says, And this continued by the space of two years, so that all that which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. The Apostle Paul comes to Ephesus. His intention is to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, sharing with them that, that Christ has come in the form of Jesus Christ, and that they, he wants everyone to hear the word. And not only does everyone in Ephesus hear the word, not only does everyone in Ephesus hear the gospel, but it says that everyone in Asia. So as the director, your director of the Austin Baptist Association, my question to you is this. 
What would it look like if every person in Austin, Texas had the opportunity to hear the gospel, the word of Jesus Christ? And we began to scratch our head and we began to say, well, how would we do that? Or if you're like John the, John the, or, uh, the uh, Nicodemus, you would say, how would these things be? How can we do that? How can this be accomplished? And I think it is accomplished as each one of us takes an opportunity to share the gospel from the perspective of our own life. It doesn't in any way change the gospel. The gospel is still the same. But the gospel in how has Christ entered my life, what has my life changed as a result of knowing Christ, and we, you and I, have an opportunity to come into contact with people that might not ever come to your church or come to Hyde Park Church or Dripping Springs Church or Hill Country Church or any of these other churches. And if, if God was good in providing the opportunity for everyone in Asia to hear the gospel, the word of the Lord, wouldn't it be great in everybody in Austin to do the same thing, and Central Texas, and the United States? And so my encouragement to the churches of our association is this. Please be generous gospel sowers, gospel presenters, that everyone might hear the, the good news of the Lord. Now, with that in mind, I'm going to ask you to turn over to John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, we have an encounter of Jesus with the woman at the well at Sychar. You say, David, how in the world are you going to connect these passages of Scripture? What is the, what is the overlap there? Well, often when I talk to people about sharing their faith, about sharing the gospel, people say this. They say, you know, that's a, a, a difficult thing. I don't know if I'll do a good job of it. I don't know if I'll mess it up. My goodness, wouldn't that be terrible if I were to share the good news of Christ and, and somehow somebody, you know, they for sure didn't want to accept Jesus Christ. And I want to assure you this, that if you go in the Father's strength, if you go prayed up as you present the, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Lord will be faithful that His Word will not return void. He will be faithful that that person will kind of grow, if, if I can use that analogy, in their understanding of who God is. See, for many of us, when we think of evangelism, we think of this. We think of meeting someone, helping to present to them the fact that they, they need a Savior, that they are a sinner, that we work them through maybe a gospel presentation or the Romans Road or a series of verses, and that evangelism is not complete unless we get to the point that at the end of that conversation, that person has made a commitment, giving their life to Christ. And I want to submit to you that there are times when you and I will have conversations with people where that from beginning to end could take place. In fact, I, I see my father as one such person. He has a real ability. He has a real listening heart to be able to engage people in conversation. And it's not uncommon to find him over the course of, of a 30 or a 45 or an hour time period engaging someone in a conversation about the gospel and that person coming to a point of saying, you know what, that's what I need in my life. That's, that's a decision that I need to make. But not all of us are like that. Not all of us have, uh, have been wired to, to be able to lead folks in that kind of way. And what I want to suggest to you is that if we would just begin having spiritual conversations, if we would just begin the day begin the week, begin the month, begin the year, saying, Father, if you see fit, bring me into relationship with people that I can share my faith with. Now, in John chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Galilee. And they 
choose a pretty interesting route. If they would have plugged it into GPS, the GPS would have said, hey, this is the best route to take. But as Jewish people, it was a no-no for them to travel through Samaria. Jesus and his disciples travel through Samaria, and at about noontime, they stop at a well. It's interesting, Jesus sends 12 of his disciples in to get lunch. I, I can't imagine it taking 12 men to be able to go and buy lunch, but I think Jesus had an idea that these guys would have messed up the conversation, and so he sent them on their way, and he engaged probably the only person that was at the well. I don't know if you're familiar with the story, and I'm going to describe the story, but then I want to read it for you out of, out of John chapter 4. The reason that this woman is there at the well by herself is because her reputation is so bad, even the city people don't want to hang out with her. And so they say, listen, you, uh, you don't need to come get water in the morning. You don't need to come in the evening when it's cool. You can come in the middle of the day because you won't have to interact with anybody. Nobody will talk to you. And so Jesus, who is a Jew, interacts with this woman who is a Gentile or a, Samari or a Samaritan. Jesus is a religious leader. He's not supposed to be talking to women. No offense to you ladies. Jesus is, you know, by reputation, a very holy, righteous person. This woman has multiple husbands in her history. And yet Jesus takes the opportunity to talk to her and to share the gospel, the good news. So what I want to do is I want to read the passage and I want you to, to hear the way that Jesus interacts with this lady and I think it's instructive for us. Each one of us are traveling through life on a daily basis, and we encounter people. When we encounter people, are we just glad when we can move on and go to the next activity or the next job or the next thing that we're going to do? Or do we intentionally say a prayer and say, Father, could you use me in the life of this individual? And God, if you've brought me into contact with this person, how could I share the good news of the gospel with this individual. So let me read for you the passage of Scripture and then we're going to, when we're going to come back and we're going to look at it. It starts in verse number 3 and I'm going to read a large passage of Scripture so stay with me. Acts chapter, or excuse me, John chapter 4 beginning in verse 3. It says, He left Judea and departed again into Galilee. So he's in Judea, he's going to Galilee and he must needs go through Samaria. Which basically means Jesus made a decision, I'm going through Samaria on this trip. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, set this on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. It was about noontime. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me to drink. Interesting. He meets a woman, has no relationship with her, and, and listen to the to the request that he makes to her. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Thus saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest me of a drink, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. So already you see that this woman understands that this interaction is very unusual. He's a Jew, she's a Samaritan, He's a man, she's a woman, why are you talking to me? Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knowest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. 
The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. For whence then hast thou the living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, who gave it us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So let's put a pause, the end of verse 14, and let's talk about where, where they've gone in the conversation. They're at a well, and so what does Jesus decide to talk about? Water. He doesn't open some great scroll and say, hey lady, let me read to you from the Holy Scriptures. But he engages her in a conversation that would be something that would have meaning and connection to her there. And I think one of the instructive things that we can take from that as we have conversations with people, where they're at, talk, them, talk to them about that subject or that activity or that thing, but look for a way to interject the gospel, the good news. So this lady's there to get water, and Jesus says, hey, what would it look like, lady, if I gave you eternal water? If I gave you water where you would never thirst again? Now, imagine what she's thinking. She doesn't know anything about water faucets like we have and turning the water on in your own house and water coming running out. She's just got this vision. Wow, wouldn't it be great if I didn't have to come out to the well every day and I had an endless supply of water? So Jesus begins to plant the seeds of the gospel with this woman, and it all begins at the very beginning with her engaging her in a conversation and said, hey, could I have a drink? So let's go back to the passage. Verse number 15, the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Now it's interesting. Jesus has an open opportunity at this point to begin to explain to her who he is, that he's the fulfillment of the Messiah, and, uh, and all the things related to that. But he continues to engage her in conversation. Jesus said unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast is not thy husband, in that saidest thou truly. So, Here's what's going on in the story. Jesus asked her to go get her husband. She said, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you've spoken correctly. You've spoken truly. You've had five. Now imagine what she's thinking. Who in the world is this guy? Has he been reading my Facebook post? Now, see, I thought I'd catch you guys awake there a little bit there. No. But he knows something about her, and so she's intrigued. And what Jesus is doing is he's in involving her in the conversation. He's talking to her about everyday kinds of things, and he is presenting the gospel to her. Now, I know what some people say. Well, man, if I were Jesus, I'd do a whole lot better job than I would do in a spiritual conversation with people, and you're right. But God's Spirit indwells you, and if He indwells you, He's going to give you strength as you begin to share. So let's go back to the story. Verse number 19. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Now I would say, duh, hello, yeah, this guy's pretty smart. How is it that he knows these things? So what she decides to do is she decides to ask him a religious question. Now so many people that I talk to about sharing their faith, about having spiritual conversations, 
They say this, I would have spiritual conversations, but if I have a spiritual conversation with somebody, what if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? Okay? Here's my answer. You're going to want to write this down because this is brilliant beyond words. If somebody asks you a question that you don't know the answer to, here's what you say. You ready? I don't know the answer to that. (laughs) Yay! Aren't you blessed beyond words? I don't know the answer to that. But the good thing is, I've got a really smart pastor, and he will know the answer, and so let's go and talk to him, and he can help you with that. Folks, don't allow yourself not knowing the answer to a question to shy away from the opportunity to share Jesus Christ with people. Often, people will ask me questions. And I will, at times, struggle with answers. And there are times when I'll tell people, you know what, I don't know the answer to that. I'll check into it for you. Sometimes it's a very specific question related to their life or something that they're dealing with, and they want somebody to give them a definite answer that they can kind of hang their hat on. But oftentimes, I kind of do what I call a redirect. And I'll say, you know what, I don't know the answer to that, but let me tell you what Jesus has done in my life. And nobody can argue with your personal testimony. Nobody can argue with what's going on, but I want you to hear, I want you to see how Jesus answers her. I want you to understand that even when Jesus was answered, asked a spiritual question, I want you to hear what his response is. She says in verse number 20, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And so the Sumerians, they said, this is the mountain on which you worship. And the Jewish people said, Jerusalem is where you're to worship. And the lady said, hey, bottom line is, which one's right? Do I go to the Baptist church? Do I go to the Methodist church? Do I go to the Bible church? Do I go to the non-denominational church? Which church do I go to? Jesus said to her, verse number 21, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye worship, ye know not what. We worship what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. How many of you heard that verse of Scripture before? Many times. Many times you've heard that. And it becomes instructive for us as to how we worship. Now, here's what's interesting. Does Jesus answer the lady's question? The answer is no. Do you worship on this mountain? Option A. Or do you worship on this mountain? Option B. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you answer C. And that is so helpful for me. And basically what he's saying is this. Hey, lady, it's not so much as to where you worship as much as who you worship. And how you worship. And that worship is not about stuff that you do. It's about spirit and truth. And imagine for us in Austin, Texas, with people saying, you know what, you know, I've got friends that are this, and I've got friends that are this, and I've got friends that go to this church and that church. And what you tell them is, what I want to introduce you to is a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, once that relationship with Jesus Christ is established, then that worship comes and takes place in their life. But before that hand, the first thing that they need is that relationship with him. Verse number 25. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Now, truth be known, 
if we were Jesus, you know, Jesus has, you know, so much of a, a better witnessing uh, opportunity than we do because in verse number 26, Jesus said unto her, I am he that speaks to you. And you don't have that opportunity and I don't have that opportunity. I mean, imagine if Jesus is the one that introduces you to himself. Imagine if you're having a physical conversation with Jesus Christ and at the end of that conversation, he said, I'm the, I'm the one that I'm telling you about. We don't have that opportunity, but we have the opportunity to share the same good news. See, I think the Apostle Paul in Ephesus, it says that when he left the synagogue, he took with him his disciples. He took with him those guys that sat at his feet and learned from him. And if Austin is to be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's not just the Samuel Clintocks and the Kai Bowmans and the Rob Harrells and all the other pastors. It's not just the pastors communicating the gospel, the truth of God's word. It's all of us. And I want to submit to you that if we decided that we wanted everybody to come to church, that that was the only vehicle by which people could come to know Christ, we would be really missing out because not everybody in Austin can fit in the churches that we have. But every one of us have relationships with lost people. How are we utilizing those relationships? Let me tell you a story. We, uh, we sold our house in Dripping Springs. It's good to meet some new friends that have connections with friends in Dripping Springs. We've moved north, so we're closer to where Bethany goes to high school. But we decided in the process of looking for a house, we wanted to move north. But when we moved into that neighborhood, we wanted it to be an opportunity for us to be generous seed sowers of the gospel. We wanted to tell our neighbors about who Jesus is. So right next to us are four guys who are here from a country and their background is Muslim. And these guys are very committed to this religious system. And so we've begun to develop a relationship with them. We want to begin to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So my wife, and I know this is going to be a hard illustration for you to capture, but my wife decides that I need to exercise a little more. And so she goes on Craigslist and finds an elliptical. If you don't know what an elliptical is, then you're as in bad a shape as I am, and you need help. But it's amazing because these ellipticals weigh a lot. I mean, they're just, they're huge. Barely fit in my pickup truck. So I go and I get it from the guy. We load it in my pickup truck. We bring it back to my house, and I'm looking at this exercise machine. You talk about the irony. I can't even pick up the exercise machine to put it in my house so that I can exercise. So I go over to my neighbors, and first step is this, is to learn their name. But... That's pretty tough when your name is David Smith. And these guys have some pretty elaborate names. In fact, one of the guys' name is Eunice. And every time I look at him, I'm going, dude, that's a girl's name. We need to give you a, a better name. But that's okay. We're calling him Eunice. He's good with that. So these guys helped me to put the elliptical into my house. And being a good neighbor, I said, hey, I know you guys are four bachelors over here. Would it be okay if I buy you guys a pizza? You know, for your work. I mean, that's good American stuff, don't you think? This means yes, this means no. Yeah, it's good, it's, it's good neighborly kind of stuff. And it was interesting. The guy said this. Our religious beliefs prohibit us from eating pizza. And I think what he was saying was essentially this. I bet you're going to go get me a sausage or pepperoni pizza, and we don't do pork. Now, here's what was interesting. My response back to him, I said this. I said, you know what, I have some pretty, pretty strong religious beliefs. 
You all can kind of smile with me as I say that. And one of these days, I'd like to talk to you about your religious beliefs and my religious beliefs. And it's interesting because all of these guys are school teachers, and one of them is really good at math. And Bethany, uh, I was teasing her the other day, I said, you're just making this up because she is in, um, she is in uh, like Algebra 2, I, I think. And um, she said, Dad, you know, we're one week into school. She says, I'm already in trouble. So we are already going to our neighbor to get a little tutorial help there. And imagine we're going to have an opportunity to share Christ with these guys, with the intent and with the hope that they change from this religious system, as Paul was going to talk to the Jewish people, over to Christ followers. And we don't believe that those guys are lining up to go to any, any church anywhere in Austin. They're pretty set in their religious patterns and their religious ways. In fact, we've just started a new church in the old Palmer Lane Baptist Church. We're going to start a brand new church. We sent flyer to 10,000 people in our neighborhood. I got a flyer myself. These guys didn't show up last night. See, I happen to believe that many of the people that you and I know are only going to come to faith in Christ, become Christ followers, as you and I take the opportunity to go and share the gospel with them personally. So one of the things that I want to ask you to do is this. I want to encourage you to adjust and alter your life pattern so that you come into contact with lost people. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Jesus could have traveled around Samaria to go to Galilee, but he altered his life to come into contact with someone who needed the good news of the gospel. So let me ask you, would you consider altering your life and your pattern so that you could come and engage lost people? My son, so very proud of him. He's at school, just headed back for his sophomore year. He's playing golf on a golf scholarship. Always good to save dad a little money. And he's been working out this summer. And when he goes to work out, he goes and he works out and is developing relationships with other guys that are working out for the opportunity to share a gospel witness with these individuals. What can you do in your life? How can you reorient and adjust your life so that you can share Christ with other people? That's what Jesus did. The second thing that I want to encourage all of us to do is to start conversations with anybody. And you say to yourself, what would I talk to them about? Well, listen, just ask people questions and you'll figure out what they're interested in. You find a grandparent kind of a person, ask them about their grandkids, immediately their purse, their phone, their wallet is open and they're showing you a picture of your grandkids. Talk about grandkids. Talk about how blessed they are and how all these kinds of things. Have conversations with everyone and in the midst of those conversations, look for ways in which you can introduce, interject the gospel. How Christ can show himself mighty and strong on their behalf, how Christ can involve him, be involved in their life, how Christ can be Lord of their life, and you would be amazed at the opportunities that you're going to have. And imagine if everybody in Park Hills Baptist Church began to have conversations with their neighbors, and if they are intentionally altering and adjusting their life, they're listening to the cues that people are coming back with, and then they're responding with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Folks, I believe just like Ephesus and literally all of Asia, everyone in Austin could hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? For all the things that Austin is known for, wouldn't it be amazing if people around the world said, yeah, that Austin, man, everybody has heard the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They might not use it in that way. They might not say it in that way. But there would be a difference about our city. 
And I believe that our Heavenly Father, in the story of John chapter 4, it's very instructive to us as to how we might share our faith. Now, just in case you're a little concerned, man, I'm a believer, I've been a believer for a long number, many, many years, and I don't, I don't feel real comfortable. Listen, Jesus has owned 12 disciples. He had to send them into, into town to get lunch because they probably didn't get it very well. So don't worry, you're in good company. But don't allow yourself, because I have a difficulty engaging people in conversation, to say, I don't want to do that. Now, I understand that you could, you could come back and you could say, well, Dave, you're kind of a chatty Kathy. You would talk to a blank wall if you didn't have anybody to talk to, and that's correct. So you talk to all the non-chatty Kathy people because I drive them crazy. They look at me and they go, that guy never shuts up. What is his problem? So you, being more cerebral, more intellectual, you can engage those kind of people. But I want to tell you this, everyone is in need of a Savior. And if we truly believe that, then we are going to pray about the opportunity to share. This morning has been crazy for me. As friends, can I tell you? We have decided that we're going to use our associational office to plant as many churches as possible. So on Sunday morning, we have a predominantly Hispanic group that worships together. They, they speak in Spanish. At 2 o'clock, we have a group of Japanese people that come together and worship. And it is so cool because God raised up a Korean, hear me correctly, Korean guy who decided that he wanted to learn Japanese. What's that about? And he is pastoring the First Baptist, I'm just adding that there, the First Baptist Japanese church in Austin, Texas. There's no other evangelical church in Austin but the one that we've just started two weeks ago. And you as a church are a part of that. And then we've got another church that has really seen God use and, and move in them recording their services and then making that sermon available to all kinds of other churches. And they're going to videotape their service on Thursday night at the ABA. And they're going to disseminate that through the web, through CDs, through all kinds of different means to various churches that don't have pastors and small groups that are beginning to meet. They're going to be there on Thursday nights and they're going to be there on Sunday nights as well. So we have four congregations meeting in our associational office. But this group that's doing the videotape says, man, your, uh, your office is too dated. We need to paint it wild colors. We need to put in new furniture and all this kind of thing. And so today is the day that they're painting. And so I was over there today, and the little Hispanic pastor was there, and he was confused because now the walls are bluish gray, and the, and the, uh, the ceiling is black, and they're moving all kinds of furniture out. And by the way, it was interesting because they didn't like the furniture we have, so I said, well, just move it somewhere else, and they took everything. So now I don't have any tables, I don't have anything, and it's kind of a chaotic kind of mess. But it was interesting because when I left, there were four guys that are painting. And I'm telling you, I don't think these guys are regular church attenders. So when they asked me last night, they said, we're way behind in painting. Is it okay if we paint throughout the day as long as we're really quiet? And I'm just saying, thank you, God. So this little Hispanic group is playing their music, and the pastor is preaching in Spanish, and these four guys are painting, listening to the sermon, listening to the worship. Imagine if God did all of this just so that those four guys would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I am loving it. I hope this afternoon they import some Japanese painters because we got a Japanese service this afternoon. But see, you guys get it. 
Your laughter gets it. Wouldn't it be amazing if we all began to pray for each other and say, wow, man, I'm praying for you this week because I'm hoping in every interaction, in every relationship you come into contact with, you have an opportunity to share something about Jesus. And folks, I get excited about that. I believe that God has us in Austin, Texas for such a time as this for the opportunity for us to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am so excited about your pastor's leadership in this place as he challenges you to be salt and light to this world and this community. Folks, what we have in Jesus Christ, everyone needs. Some of them just don't realize that because they've never heard the gospel. They are searching. They are, they are looking for answers. And maybe it is that God's going to use you to share the gospel with them. Father, this morning, thank you for the opportunity. God, to open your word and look at John chapter 4. Father, I thank you that your son, your son, saw the importance of sharing the gospel, that he altered his travel plans, he altered his day, and God, he talked to somebody that he wasn't supposed to speak to. And God, this morning, there are those of us here who are thinking to ourselves, there are people in Austin that I could never talk to. Yet, Father, I think your example in John chapter 4 is so extreme that really there ought not to be anybody that we could not engage in a conversation. And God, as we're engaging people in conversations, as we're talking to them about life, God, help us to be creative as to how to engage them with the gospel, with the good news of Jesus Christ. Father, everyone in Asia, during the time of the Apostle Paul, heard the word of the Lord. And Father, this morning we collectively ask that you, God, that you would be pleased to do that again. To do that again in Austin, Texas. And Father, may it not just land on Austin, Texas, but may it leak out to everyone in Texas and the United States and around the world. Father, may everyone have the opportunity to know you as their personal Lord and Savior. And Lord, if we truly love you, then this is not a difficult thing. Because Father, we talk about the things that we love. In fact, we can't be quiet about the things that we love. And so, Father, maybe it is this morning that what we need to do is to fall more deeply in love with you because, God, out of that love, out of that, out of that, uh, out of that relationship, God, we, we just want everybody, we just want everybody to know of who you are. So, Father, as we respond to the Scripture today, God, may we respond in obedience. Maybe it is, God, that you're going to bring to mind some names of some individuals, some neighbors, some co-workers that we need to begin to intentionally alter our life and our schedule and our time so that we can begin to engage them in conversation. And God, help us to understand that it might not happen with one conversation or five conversations. Maybe it's 50 conversations. But Lord, it's worth it. Everyone is worth it, Lord. And however long it takes... We are going to be faithful, we're going to be obedient, and we are going to be your spokespersons to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, as we sing, may your spirit bear witness with our spirit. May you tell us, God, how it is that we're to respond. 
God, for your glory and for our good. In your name I pray. Amen. Thank you again, David, for being here this morning, and praise God for that encouraging word.